I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Special guest, Alex, in for the second time. Hi. Last time with Rona. Rona did much of the talking. Yes, yeah, she did, but I, I liked her. I liked her a whole bunch. I think she's, uh, I think she's a very smart woman who's um, kind of honest about what's daunted her about stand-up and, you know, her, and other things that she's, um, that she wants and that she misses. And I think that, you know, instead of people who kind of push it way down, I really appreciate someone who kind of... But you're, like, with you, Alex, it's very much, um, like, you got the best newcomer last year. Yeah. So people are kind of looking out for you now. Do you feel a slight pressure? I feel a lot of pressure. I feel well, a don't. Amount because <laughs> yeah, what I have to remember is no one gives a fuck. But don't you only put the pressure on yourself? Yeah, I know. But I mean, there is, but there is that, that 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 I think that should be the most pressure, the pressure that you put on yourself to continue doing something excellent or to push yourself artistically because you think, uh, well, anyone can accumulate an hour over the course of four years, so now you have to do it in one, and really you only have a few months because of all the work you're putting in on the other opp- yeah. lovely opportunities that have come up. But have you got your theme for your new show? Yeah, kind of. It's what? about it's about life milestones. Like uh Say again? life milestones. Right. And sort of You're twenty six. Well that's the thing. I think for my generation life milestones have kind of shifted like I've done quite a lot of my life in transit. Yeah. And so it's very strange because because I, by necessity, I have to sort of live life while I'm in transit, where most people get to sort of shut down. Like you know, when you close a Mac laptop and it just kind of it doesn't shut off, but it kind of goes dark. Yeah, like I feel like that's how a lot of people act on transport. It, where it, most of my life now is on transport from one place. But to that's another. your choice, though. It is, but I didn't anticipate that my lifestyle would be like this, and I'm fine with it. It's just, it's just a weird sort of uh, jarring thing where it's like I grew up with two parents who had never really left Boston since they for any extended period of time. Like on well, this we went to tri- Peru that time, didn't we? We went to Peru for a few days. <laughs> you have a great memory. I know. Yeah, from, like a week ago. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> It all stays up there. But are you happy with... I mean, your life has gone in, in several different great directions. Like, you, you had, you, you had, um, you had stand-up first, and you, st- and you found your way back to stand-up with, you know, with great, with sort of, uh, with great success. And, and you've done a lot of different things. You've written books, and you're doing poetry, and, like, you've run in some quite unique circles. Like, you must well, feel... You didn't anticipate this life, surely. No. Like, as I say, like, most stand-ups, I think... Uh, Especially when it comes to acting, um, with stand-up, that's our thing. That's mm-hmm. our core. Yeah, and you can't do that every night of the year, no. and so you have to rely on other people to give you the other jobs. Mm-hmm. So I still will always be a stand-up, and the rest is a bonus. Yeah, I mean, I think as someone who's interested in young people, and uh, are you being seen as the voice of youth now? Yeah, it's very strange. Because I never anticipated it, which seems like a really self-aggrandizing thing to say. But like, I your last show was pretty much talking about it. It was. It was called Millennial. It was very. It was. It was positioned in an unconscious way because it's ninety percent autobiographical stand-up and then ten percent. 
stuff about my friends and seeing that as something meaning more than just my friendship group, meaning like the generation of people that I'm in, because I, I don't think it's really talked about or easy to represent in the in the media. I don't blame the media for not representing it in a certain but way. But the media kind of love awful. young people, though. They do, but I think they love this caricature of young person who, like, you know, is technically savvy and carries a skateboard and, like, you know, dude, what's up? Like, that's the kind of... Uh, You've lost me now. Sorry. Says, says YOLO get... and Fleek. Do, do you know either of those words, Sean? No. YOLO or Fleek? Uh, like, uh, what I don't like about your equipment is changing words. Sick now means good. Stop that nonsense. Sick is great. Sick is always been Sick good. is when you're not feeling very well, Alex. Oh, I'm sorry. That's See, my generation tends to not feel sick so much as, you, as your generation. Well, we're so. all going to die, though. <laughs> it's all coming at us. Yeah, but for you guys, sooner. Yeah. Well, not necessarily. Life's a bit of a lottery like that. Yeah, that's true. It's, I have a friend who... But just, thanks for bringing me down, though. Yeah. But I, so, mean, I just meant hopefully. That's but, meant. So you, you're spending... A, like, I know you a little bit. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't profess to know you that well, but you strike me as someone who's very ambitious. Um, I'm scared. Like, I... I I feel like there's a lot more required now for me to make a stable living and have a house and and um, not feel like at any moment living the comedy equivalent of paycheck to paycheck. And I feel like I have to keep producing at a rate that's almost unfair um, and produce be expected to produce many different things like scripts and book pitches and panel stuff and like and like all this stuff. So the thing is, my ambition is for a stable lifestyle where I can produce unconsciously. And, like, I have a lot of artistic ambition. Like, I quite like to do things that are of good quality. I quite like to do a few good books and be at a level where I can tour. And But, like, I, I don't aspire there, to be... you get there, though? I, a little bit. I'm certainly progressing. And I'm making a living at it, which is a very... Like, I'm hanging on by the, like, skin of my teeth. But it's... It, but I am... I am hanging on, and so I'm not ambitious to be famous, but I am ambitious to be accomplished. In, Are you going to move over here then? I, I will. I fully plan to split time. Like I really like doing what I've been doing is six months in the states, six months here in Australia. Because when you're in the states, you're in New York, yeah, in New York or Boston, which is where I'm from. But it's weird with New York because like there's lots of comedy clubs, but you can't really make a living out. No, of you it. can't. Not 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 anymore. Not unless you have devoted. Your yourself to just doing that and I thought I would do that for a while and then I, I realized I, I really wanted to travel and see I came to the UK by accident I did my last semester of university here at the writing program that NYU runs with the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and so it was kind of a it was kind of a real culture shock seeing young comedians doing hours and being exposed imagine you had never heard of you know Louis CK or Jerry Seinfeld or something and then you're just dunked into an environment where you're seeing them all for the first time with no preconception. Your mind would be blown. Yeah, and, and that's so, what you've had over here. I mean, that's what's happened to me here. And uh, quite frankly, the last month in Australia was great because of the same thing. I don't get Australian stand-up in the states. I don't get British stand-up in the states unless it's no one. No one knows who Michael McIntyre is. No one. And here he's such a household name that some people are sick of him. And so, like, I get I got to watch Michael McIntyre or you know or, or someone of. of of that level and like some of them and really dislike some others without having the preconceived notion of sure. what that was going to be like. So, and I still don't know who some people are. Like, I didn't know who Rona is. Is she quite famous? Well, as I say, she hasn't done it for a long time. But yeah. But like she would be, people would know if you were a comedy fan, you would have heard her yeah, name I guess. and you would have known who she was. So like part of that's nice because you're a little unconscious. Other parts are not. 
are not so nice because sometimes you say to someone like, "Who are you?" and they're like, "I'm Jimmy Carr," and you're just like, "Who's Jimmy Carr?" and that's the, you know, that's a very um, just a guy doesn't pay his tax. Well, that's what he's known for, basically. <laughs> but you know what? I think his. I think he writes. He writes good jokes, and I think that he's. And yeah, again, the personal stuff is also quite juicy. It's like quite. But weirdly, and I don't want to have a go at him, but Jimmy's one of the actually growing number of comics who actually use writers to write their gags. I mean, I think... Like, would you ever do that? Because I certainly wouldn't. I haven't. I haven't done it, but I would empathize with someone who's had so much... I think it's harder... To, I don't think he's at a place where he needs to survive. No, he, he's very good gag writer himself, Yeah, yeah, of course. But, like... It's all about expectation. When you're expected to produce it... A, two years ago, I would have been militant about it. And I think, by the way, that... I, I just won't work with a writer because I haven't met anyone who my comic voice is replicatable by. Just like, but what is your um, format for writing? Do you actually sit down on a blank piece of paper? I sit down and I write something, and it's always wrong. It's always invariably the wrong thing. And then I go on stage and I kick it for probably two or three months, and then some, and then it turns out to be something that can be honed into shape. And then a year later, it's good. Are really good, so it takes a long time. But like, well, I do sit down and write, but it's always the wrong idea, or it's always the wrong form of the idea. And the only way for me to workshop it is to get on stage. But hopefully, I'll be a good enough writer one day where I can just sit down and like bash it out. Are you kind of saying you haven't found your voice properly yet? Um, I do have. I have found my voice. It just takes a long time to get my material to match up with it, or to get my ideas into that voice. Like my voice is quite. I like doing stand-up because I feel like on stage my, my, my box of tools is quite varied. Like, like I do some jokes that are a little more surreal and it's very documentary style and kind of anecdotal and like, but it's, it's, it's dense when I, when I do it correctly with like a lot of jokes and, and sometimes it seems smart and, and, and fast and clever and other times it seems quite sluggish or comfortable or, and so like, I think for me, the voice is that there's this big Jumbly box of stuff that's still somehow quite me. But what, what you're pretty much time. saying is you're a schizophrenic, huh? Yeah, yeah. We could have just... I have multiple personalities. Yeah, but it takes a while. Don't you feel that way, Sean? Like it takes a few. Sometimes I'm sure you write something and you're like, "This is perfect the way it is," and futzing with it is just the wrong move. Well, I tend to just write about stuff that is truthful. So mm -hmm. you're always on the right, you know, yeah. pathway. I have found sometimes that what I do is start with something that's completely truthful and that's not funny and then I change some of the facts oh, and yeah. I get back to the you grain of truth. You embellish. Yeah. You know, but, to make it, you know, to make it better. But like, not not everyone has, I think I think comedians sometimes get like like I tell a joke about working at KFC. I never worked at KFC, I worked at a chicken restaurant but, um, but then I wanted the joke about Working at KFC is like being in the army because you serve under a colonel. And then that joke wasn't quite right, but a perversion of it was right. And then I actually found that people resonated much better with them if they could find things that they identified in a fast food restaurant right. as an environment to be in in the joke. So I kept KFC as the whole joke. And it worked much better. Well, no, that obviously makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it does, to, of course, to someone who, who knows comedy and is astute. But for me, I just found the way to find your comic voice is to do an hour. You will find your comic voice because you'll force yourself to. And it'll become streamlined but over the But you reckon you haven't got it. that much of the new show together yet? I reckon. See, I did it in Leicester. I did the new show in Leicester. It was 75 minutes. It was nominated for Best New Show. 
So all right, so all right, was, all right. No, no. But I, so I think there's a grain of something there, but um, I, I don't think that all 75 minutes is even close to ready. I think probably in there there's 30 minutes or 40 minutes if I'm being lucky, and then. But you're doing the whole of Edinburgh this year. Doing yeah. the whole of Edinburgh. The show is called Everything Handed to You, which is a thing my dad used to say to me. He'd go, "You had everything handed to you," which I think is. So were you quite sport then as a child? No, no, I wasn't. I I never knew what the fuck he was talking about because I felt like. Is that what you used to say to him? No. What no, the fuck are you talking not. about, Dad? No, of course not. I never cursed my father. My mother, you could get away. My mother would get really fired up if you uh, talked back to her, but for some reason it might seem much easier to get fired up. My father would just be like, would just give you this look that like said, like, I love you so much. Why are you screaming at me? Right. I've given you so much. Why are you screaming? Like, my parents provided well for us, as, especially as... Because like, you're the youngest older. child as well. I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. I'm the oldest, yeah. Right. But I strike everyone as a youngest child. You do come Something across as a youngest. It. Because I've been everyone's youngest brother for... Because I started coming when I was 16, 15. Right. So, ever, so I was always the younger brother as I developed. And I started working in offices when I was like 13, 14 years old. And Doing what? Uh, I was a writer for a baseball team's kids magazine. Okay. Can you believe that? I worked for the Red Sox in Boston as a... Uh, as a as a as a uh, script writer and a and a um and a, at thirteen yeah it was great best job I've ever ever had besides being a comedian and you got sacked no I moved to the Dodgers uh, the oh. baseball team in L A and then I got sacked <laughs> why did you move to the Dodgers my boss moved and he took me with him and uh, so you actually, you actually moved to L A then I worked moved to L A for a few summers flew back and forth from uh, New York when I was starting co- I was starting college so I you like job. traveling don't you. It just kind of happened that way. I like seeing all the different things. I'm not smart enough to sort of get into one place and dig, 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 dig. But, like, I think going to many different places and kind of skimming off the top again and again and digging occasionally here or there, I get a lot out of it. Everyone's got their own approach to sort of exploration. Some people dig into one small town and explore it and explore it and explore it. Some people never explore anything. And some people have to go to all these different places. So what's next for you, then? I have to write the show. I have to write this next show. Well, it's already won the best new show in Leicester. No, no, it was nominated. Someone told me. It was nominated. Oh, a minute ago you won it. No, I said it was nominated. Did I say it was nominated? Oh, no, I'm telling you. You can go back. You can rewind and listen. Oh, Backlades. You don't need PR. <laughs> but um, Come on, on my behalf. Are you going to um, tour the show then? Yeah, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that after the next show, I'll be able to tour a little bit. And there's some uh, TV coming up, I think. And I mean, it's rubbish scary. TV or decent TV. I think decent TV. I'm doing John Bishop's um, variety show, and uh, and any decent stuff coming up. <laughs> wow. quite, quite cutting. Uh, I think the decent, the decent stuff that's coming up is uh, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing the next show. That's the decent stuff. Yeah. And where are you playing in Edinburgh? I'm at the Pleasance again. Okay. I love the Pleasance courtyard. That's where I've. Uh, where were you at when you were up there? All the over the place, really? like a tramp. Are you going to go up again? No, I'm going to be in the railway channels. That's right. How are you enjoying that? I'm enjoying it. It's taking myself out of my comfort zone, which I think is important I think it's do. brilliant that you're doing it, man. It's, but, uh, cool. it's also really nice to do a family show, because it's just not me. I'm evil, and I love playing to the kids. Debosh. I saw you at Port Elliot. Are you doing Port Elliot again? Do you have the time? Uh, no plans to do... Like, the only stand-up shows I'm going to do, I'm going to do a tour of the Middle East. Are you really? Yeah. No shit. So. That's right. You told me. You're going to... Um, are you going to Dubai and Dubai Abu Dhabi? Dubai Doha, yeah. See, aren't you curious to see those places? I've been there before. Do you like them? Um, I think they've got the 
you know, pluses and minuses. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, weirdly, um, I have no problem. You know, I'm quite brave on stage, so I did talk about Muslims while yeah, I was there. Yeah. Of course and you apparently, were. Apparently, uh, one of the guys at the venue said I was uh, being racist, but the promoter stuck up for me totally and said, What are you, you on about? Good for you. Don't good know. for him, ultimately. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's... You know, this, this is the thing, like, I don't know if you found this with comedy, that um, you mention a word and people just don't want to listen. Off, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I had that recently. I have a joke I've been doing for a few years. It's the opening joke of my Edinburgh show. It's about this joke that I do in front of my family on Thanksgiving. I always come out of the closet as a joke. And, uh, and I always stand up. I, I always say, I came out of the closet this Thanksgiving. And sometimes people applaud, and then I go, don't applaud. I'm not gay. I just thought it would be hilarious. <laughs> and then it's a long bit about that. And, and over the years, I've dreaded someone coming up to me going, like, that joke's offensive to gay people. And it's uh, offensive to what young gay people have to go through. And for three years, no one said anything. And, like, I opened Simon Amstel's tour with it for, like, a long time. And... Uh, and, and his audience, a lot of gay people, so I especially feared someone. And no one ever uh, had until Melbourne, which is the last time I was wow. doing the joke regularly, someone came up to me, and they had seen it on television, and they thought, um, I said, you know that joke you do about gay people? And I went, oh my God, you're the one. And they said, what? I said, I've been doing the joke for three years and waiting for one person to come up to me. And that meant part of me knew it was a little bit offensive on some level. But what, what was it? Did you pick him up and ask him what he found offensive it was about a, it? It was a woman. She wasn't gay. She felt offended on behalf of gay people. See, and so people I said, like that, I find right? that really hard to respect, honestly. I said that to her. I said, I find it really hard to respect. And here's the thing. I was standing next to Mark Watson, who's another comedian. He was like, what the fuck is happening? Because he had just seen the show. He had just seen the joke for the first time. And the woman hadn't been in to the show she had just seen it on TV so she had, she had just seen it standing alone so she had no context for the rest of it and um, and I said to her I was like look I'd be happy to have an extended discussion with you about this at a separate time I'm standing I'm with friends but she just went I think it's wrong how you've how you've chosen to to, to do this joke and I think it's wrong that you've that you belittling gay people I said not belittling gay people I uh and then I try to explain that I have some... But, but it sounds like is, you whatever, were quite polite. I would have... But you know what? Whatever defense you try to mount to someone who's offended, it, it won't work because they're offended and you're not going to talk them out of it. Unless you're like, listen, I am gay. Yeah. It would have been... Which I thought about doing. I thought it'd be quite I, interesting. I had a weird one where uh, I was playing Bristol. And, but to be fair, I did drop the joke as well. But it was a joke about... Um, you know, it wasn't a great joke, but I'll just say what it was. But um, I just said about how on New Year's Eve, I was with this woman, she was really annoying. She kept on referring to champagne as shampoo. And, you know, all night she's going, when are we going to open the shampoo? When are we going to open the shampoo? And I said, so at stroke of midnight, you know what I did? I punched her really hard in the face, <laughs> which is obviously a joke, you know. But this woman came up and says, I have been a victim of domestic violence. Oh, no. And I don't think that's funny. And I said, you know what? I had never punched a woman in the face, so you're right. But the thing is, you knew that as well. And you that was a, a joke right at the start of the set, and you still stayed and laughed at everything else, so you yeah. weren't offended. I think, But she was right, because the thing is, I, I, I'm just thinking, why am I saying I'm punching a woman in the face? I think part of it, though, is that an audience... If an audience is offended and you're telling something offensive, then the consensus will let you know. Yeah. They will let you know by not laughing at you. If you do it only in front of an audience of cunts, like you're doing a you're doing some late night gig somewhere and it's the only time people laugh at, then maybe you want to give yourself a little bit of pause. But like if you're doing it of an audience that you have respect for and of discerning quality and they and you trust it enough to keep it in your regular show or your regular set and 
and the audience is laughing at it. It's because they can see you are not blaming the victim yeah. or you're not generalizing or something like that. And also, people ask me, I get asked now for the first time, like, if I have advice for young comedians. It's kind of a lazy interview question, but, like, sometimes people genuinely Especially for ask. one so young. <laughs> yeah. People go, what advice do you have for comedians starting out? Because they'll be like, you're a comedian who's, like, just past starting out. What advice would you have for people starting out? And my advice is always set standards for yourself because even if you can't achieve those standards, when you're starting, eventually you will get better and maybe you'll hit those standards and you'll become the comedian that you'd quite like to be. Right. So, like, choose what to say on stage and choose not what to say on stage. And, like, I think good comedians, audiences almost always recognize that even if it's only the aesthetic of what they're doing or the type of material they're talking about, that every good comedian has some sort of standard. Like, you can levy a charge against, like, I'm using Michael McIntyre as an example, even though I kind of respect him as a as a comedian. He's good at what he does. Yeah, yeah. he has tremendous craft work. So audiences watch him and they go, what craft, what physical presence, what fun, you know, what natural To be fair, I don't think they do, Alex. I think, like, you know, and I'm not knocking him because he is very good at what yeah, he does, yeah. but he does very obvious stuff. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, a lot of ignorant people go, oh, yeah, I do that as well, you know? But do you think they think it's brilliantly commonly observed I experience? don't think they're thinking like that at all. I just think they go, yeah, I've got a, a sock drawer or whatever. Like, yeah, you know? but there's something that... Do you think there's... I think there's something that sets... And maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I'm maybe I'm. No, but he good. he is very well crafted. But I'm, all I'm saying is I don't uh, think the audience are there going. But I don't, that was a well crafted joke. No, I don't think so. But I think subliminally they not subliminally, but I think there's something trustworthy about someone who does something of quality. And my least favorite comedians, by the way, are the ones who fake that trustworthiness or fake right. that craftsmanship or like they pretend that they've messed up a word and do a joke off of it that yeah, it's off the yeah. cuff. Like it's a very frustrating thing to do. And so I, I think I think faking that technical ability or faking that confidence is very un, very unlikable in, in a comedian to other comedians, people that really know comedy, but like Or oh, that false laughter that you do on stage when laughing at laugh, your own jokes. Yeah. As an effect rather it's frustrating. Sometimes yeah. I genuinely laugh at something. By the way, it's always prompted at an audience having more of a reaction to it than me. I always laugh at the like sheer Delight but the having, having the said that, it. like uh, I think audiences love when they see a performer enjoying themselves on stage. Oh yeah, I mean, I all I almost my best shows are when I'm really enjoying myself, which is why it's it's nice to be. Um, sometimes traveling is hard because I'll have a dry spell here or there of a few gigs because I'll just be tired and want to go home and not want to enjoy myself anymore or. Or I have to really rely on on the ones that I know will work, and I can't really have fun or experiment because I'm God, just you're so wasted. Jaded already, Alex. I'm not jaded. It's just like some, I, I have the best life, but but sometimes like, I just want to be home with my family, and so like I miss. Uh, and now London's kind of become a second home because like if I'm away from from London in a different place that's not New York, I'm just quite like at the very 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 tail end of Australia. I was like, I'm ready to head back to London. Were you there for a month? Yeah, so for a month and and it didn't change. I did an extra week because poor Greg Barrett got uh, who's another comedian, lovely comedian, got uh, had got cancer, so oh, wow. he needed someone to fill in for him for a gig in Sydney. So I took that gig, and um, but by the but after that show that I had done, I was just so ready to go the fuck home. That it was like, uh, I mean, you don't. As into the to New the York. UK, to the I know. Oh God, I'm calling this place home now, but yeah. yeah, but it's a second home. I mean, I've been here a lot. Well, you got your lovely lady here. I got a lady and a, a ready-made child. <laughs> 
And the child's the same age as you, yeah? No, she... <laughs> <laughs> you two I'm always, dating Madonna. I'm you're dating. always playing in the garden, playing football together. <laughs> and so you're off to a meeting now, so this is, uh, this is what life's going to be for a bit now. So what's yeah. the next meeting? Next meeting is about a thing I'm writing that maybe, maybe they want to make about... Uh, don't be vague. Tell us. Set in heaven. So that's 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 all. I'll... You Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah. Orthodox. There's don't no worry, heaven. Don't worry. It's your heaven. It's the Saint Peter. It's the Saint Peter heaven with uh, with all the Jesus and uh, and stuff like that. I don't believe in any of that nonsense. Of course not. I mean, what do you believe in? Do you believe in? Anything? I believe in you. Oh, thank I believe you. in lack of cruelty to animals. That's true. You treat your dogs quite well. Uh, I believe. Uh, I believe I can fly. No, that's a song. Yeah. I always get that one mixed up. <laughs> but listen, Alex, thanks so much for coming Thank in. Thank you really so do much appreciate for having it. me. Um, good luck with Edinburgh this year. Yeah. So buy tickets. Are you, like, uh, like, I know you're not thinking it, but usually the newcomer does win the award the next year. That has never happened except for one year. Last year. Last year was the first yeah, time it's Last year. Happened. This is a new trend. Which means that now it will never A lot of pressure on you, again. my friend. A Alex, if you don't win the award... I'm a disappointment to you. You're a disappointment to everybody. Of course. But I'm quite... Just enjoy the show is what yeah, I say. I'm going to hope so. No, I'll you will. i enjoy myself on stage. Okay, listen, this is uh, Young People uh, calling out. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been listening to Under the Radar with me, Sean Hughes. Um, go to see live comedy. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.